we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. A possible flaw in Drake May as a prospect. College Game Day Basketball goes on the road for the first time this season, and Alabama's now looking for two coordinators. This is the College Game Day Podcast. For Thursday, January 26th, Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. Tennessee basketball coach Rick Barnes is going to join us in just a little bit. And Pete, I'm in that hybrid world right now of, you know, obviously still living football, but also living college basketball at the moment. And those worlds intersected in Syracuse on Tuesday night when I called the North Carolina Syracuse game. I, I put on, you know, inspired by the new house surroundings and all of the statues and the plaques that they have to you at Syracuse, I thought now is the time to become the intrepid reporter and do some real digging right here. I've got a, I've got a really good source on uh, the 2024 NFL draft and the potential number one overall pick in Drake May. So I went to work, Pete. I went, I went digging to find out if there was something that wasn't right about North Carolina quarterback Drake May, and, I, and I've discovered something. Are you curious? Well, this is this is big, Reese, because obviously you looking for flaws in Drake May is uh, is 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 significant. He is your college football man crush. He has been your college football man crush for a majority of the season. We mean as a talent, obviously. We use the term man crush. My man yeah. crush. I need a new one actually because Quinton Johnston is leaving us. He's yeah, yeah. you got to find a new guy. Yeah, going off to the roof. So I will find. <laughs> I will find a new uh, a new man crush at some point for 2023. But I appreciate your intrepid reporting. Um, there is a statue at Syracuse dedicated to my shaky internet. If you look hard enough on uh, <laughs> on on the campus, it's somewhere uh, somewhere in a sewer grade near the Newhouse School. I'm sure the dome is now named for a wireless company. And you know, previously, I know it's air conditioned now, but previously, when the dome was named after an air conditioning company, that for a long time it was like one of the hottest places on earth. There was no air conditioning in there, and now that it's named after a wireless company, I was expecting lightning fast internet. But within the dome, maybe it was the twenty thousand fans, but I would say it was something more akin to uh, a Pollock Thamel internet situation inside there, despite being named for a wireless company. The internet has always stunk in the Carrier Dome. It, it, I mean, it has always just been like brutal, like can't get a tweet sent. Um, right before the pandemic, I was uh, in the Carrier Dome. Uh, my wife Kate and I went up for the weekend with some friends. They were playing Georgia Tech in basketball. And I had I was breaking the story, um, the, the very important story in the history of college football, that Coral Durrell was going to be the new coach at Colorado. It happened to happen when we were walking into the game. And I had to actually run outside the carrier dome and like hold up my phone. Like, you know, I was like, like Marty McFly, like look, looking for lightning in order to in order to send the uh, in order to send the tweet. But yes, I have heard I have many spies still roaming the 315. I have heard that if you are JW is it JWA wireless? Uh, you know what? This is the funny thing. I've forgotten if I think it's JWA wireless. I think it was in the North Carolina notes that the great Steve Kirshner is a great mm -hmm. friend, been there forever. I think he made it an M instead of a W or a W instead of an M, whichever, whichever one it's, it's supposed to be. That was that was yeah. pretty funny. We were laughing yeah. about that. 
It's the carrier dome to everyone forever. Yes. You know? yes. So. yes. If you're in the cubicle of the marketing department at JWA Wireless, it probably wasn't the brightest idea to say, you know, let's skimp on the on the dome budget for wireless. <laughs> no one will notice. Not the <laughs> not the thirty thousand people who go there. Not the you know reams of media that go through because media would never complain about bad wireless. So oh no, uh, never. I mean that would just yeah. That's that's always been my my like. I, when I go to a press box, I don't care what the spread is. I don't care what the food is. I really don't care about the game notes. As long as the wireless works, I'm a happy camper. That's hey, all I need. Like, just, hey, just, hey, hey, Pete, it's yeah. M. It's, it's J M A wireless. M A wireless. I think. Yeah, I'm just looking. I'm looking it up here. You know, that's a. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the thing you want it, but I just think that's funny. As we're sitting here complaining about the wireless, we can't even get the company name right. I don't even know who they are. Anyway, yeah. but good good for them and for giving them the money to, you know, put the name yeah. on it so we'll stop well, saying Carrier, but we never will. Carrier had had a lifetime deal mm-hmm. and they had to break. So in 1980, when Carrier, I believe it was somewhere around the early 80s, the dome opened. I think it was 80. And when Carrier signed the deal, it was for a million dollars. And it was like, oh, my God, a million dollars for a naming <laughs> deal. Now that's like a month, right? Yeah. And so yeah. eventually... The school had to break up with Carrier, and they had to they had to get out legally from a lifetime contract. And so it, it it was a complicated unwinding. And of course, it was Syracuse, so they don't announce anything, and they they operate like the Kremlin a little bit up there sometimes. <laughs> so they didn't actually tell anyone they were doing this. They just like released the media guide one year and, and just like erased all references to Carrier. Well. We now we've gotten to the bottom of the naming of the dome. Now let's get to the bottom of the right. flaw that I've discovered in Drake May as a prospect. So as as most people probably know, the May family is royalty at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drake's dad, Mark, was a terrific player there. Obviously, his brother Luke, a legend as a basketball player there, won a national championship, and his youngest brother Bo is uh, on the team. He's rehabbing a knee injury. Fine young man. So I, I spoke with uh, spoke with Bo. Boy, I'm old, and I just called him a fine young man. So I was talking with Bo before the game and mentioned that I, and I think I've said this to you before. I was acquainted and spent a little time talking a couple of years ago, a few years ago, uh, with the May's grandfather at a speaking engagement that I had in North Carolina, who's a great guy as well. So I so I said to Bo after we had chatted about his grandfather a little bit, I said, look. I said, I don't know if you're a devout listener to the podcast I do with Pete Thamel. I said, but you know, I'm very high on your brother's a prospect, but I said, you know him better than anybody. I said, give me, give me something that's wrong with me, with him. Give me a little dirt on him. So Bo was hesitant to do this at first, but at the same time, you could kind of see the wheels turning. And I uh, love those wheels. Yeah, I, I shouldn't be telling you this <laughs> wheels are, are like the best wheels to see. Well, the thing is, is, you know, Hubert Davis would love players that make good decisions. And I think that Bo probably held a little bit back. But what he what he did, what he did, the play he decided to make was he said, well, you know, he, he said, I'm his I'm his roommate, mm-hmm. too. He said, and there there are some issues there. Like. Like sometimes I just can't get him to take out the trash. Oh, and that's wow. it. That's it. That's what we have right now. Attention wow. to detail from Drake May. Will wow. he? Will he always take out the trash? Yeah, I was like, that's the best you've got, Bo. I, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to develop my source with Bo May. Not that I'm really looking for anything 
looking for anything bad. Although, you don't want although any flaws the, in your in your crush race, you want. Yeah, to although per, I know it. Although the Twitters, mind. although the Twitters, to my somewhat surprise, I'm always amused after I call a game to look at Twitter and you know the whole "you hate my team, you were rooting for sure. the other team" kind of thing. Uh, I was kind of amused. The uh, the Tar Heels are are pretty sure that I don't like them, and hmm. I th- but I looked at it. I, I you know it, there's no there's no upside in responding to such nonsense. But I was thinking, you know, as much as we talk about their quarterback on this podcast, here's a really good chance to grow the audience. If I could just, you know, tap into tap into this disdain, right? That could be good. Yeah. Well, the good thing is, uh, you know, Syracuse is a very rational fan base. They're very even. So I'm sure they, I'm sure they took your uh, your your call of Judah Mince's like felonious elbow through uh, R.J. Davis's stride. <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, I, I was, um, I don't know if people didn't see it, Judah Mintz is an outstanding freshman guard for mm-hmm. Syracuse. and A tight game, really. Carolina, for a long time, really, it seemed to be one of those games that the the margin wasn't huge, but they were in control, you know? Mm-hmm. And then yes. and then Syracuse kind of caught him and had a chance, and Mintz went in, and he, he went in aggressively, and he 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 caught RJ pretty good with an elbow across the yeah. face. I mean, you know, that's one of those plays. I was I was on the plane with one of the officials of the game afterwards, and it's one of those plays you want the offensive player to have the right to drive and to drive aggressively. But he he described it like when you play defense, you if you come in and hit an offensive player and you're in a cylinder, the same mm-hmm. thing applies. You know, if you kind of get out of your cylinder and into the defensive players area and, and catch him with an elbow. And that's what, that's what Mintz did. And, you know, our well, RJ took a shot on that, but it was a big play. And, um, you know, there, there, there were, there were a couple of tough block charge calls in that game, but there always are. So yes. I, I, yeah. we, we won't, we won't get Rick Barnes started on a whole lot of uh, <laughs> block charge calls when, when he comes, Hey, quickly before yeah. Rick, before Rick joins us here, Bill O'Brien, uh, going back to the Patriots as the offensive coordinator, which now means both coordinators are are gone at Alabama. What what are you what are you hearing on that, or if if much of anything right now? It seems pretty quiet in that regard. It has been a little quiet, Reese. I will say that uh, you know there's been some you know there's there's names being bandied around. I would say the name being bandied the most. Well, this is what Nick Saban typically does. What he's going to want to do is talk to a bunch of people. And just take as much information from them as possible, right? That's been always, that's the Belichick way. That's his way. You go on a learning tour and you go and learn and try to, you know, acquire and bring in the most amount of information. And you try to learn some different systems, learn some different tenets. He often tries to speak to coordinators that he's played in the previous year. So, hey, how did you attack us? I remember he did that with Tom Herman when he got the Mm -hmm. Houston job after Ohio State beat them, uh, in uh, in the first college football playoff in, in in the Sugar Bowl, so there is there is sort of a, a process, and it seems like th- this doesn't seem like it's going to be a targeted strike. We're going to go get somebody, you know, in in twenty four hours. This does seem like it's going to be a, a bit of a process. Um, one name that I've seen in in a few places is our colleague Dan Mullen. Uh, I don't think that is going to uh, is going to end up happening. There there was some there was some some footsies from what I understand there, but there is uh, I don't think Dan Mullen will be the next Alabama offensive coordinator. Uh, Jeff Levy has been a, a popular name, the, the former uh, coordinator for Lane Kiffin at uh, 
Ole Miss. He's obviously been in the Baylor system and, uh, and, and been around a few different places. Now, he is an Oklahoma grad. So whether you know whether Nick can go in and extract him from his alma mater would would be uh, you know would certainly be a, a, an interesting subplot. I would say probably that that Levy is the, you know the betting line uh, betting line favorite right now. Um, and it, it and I think sort of the you know the existential question here is what does Nick want to do right. And, and how does he want to do it? Does he want to go faster? P- probably, right? Um, and then how fast do you want to go? Um, do you, you know, do you want do you want to try to turn into, you know, what Lane has turned Ole Miss into? I, I don't think Alabama went quite that fast when when mm-hmm. when he when he, when he was there. But do you, when you when you look at the success Tennessee had against them, now I would argue some of that was because of. Alabama's some failures to adjust in 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 that game in uh, in in Knoxville this year, but um, and then the, you know there, there's some other names that that have been bandied around, you know, a, a bunch from the NFL side where where Nick hasn't been been afraid to uh, to go over the years. When you when you know, I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is going to go be the Alabama coordinator. That just doesn't that just doesn't feel right to me. That just doesn't seem like the kind of job that 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 Cliff would would want to go do. And ultimately. That would be a sign that Cliff wants to come back to college. And Cliff wasn't a particularly good college football coach. I mean, he wasn't a bad one, but mm-hmm. he had Patrick Mahomes, and he pretty much ended up, I think he was below 500 in the Big 12, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, he was the USC offensive coordinator for about uh, for about Five a happy minutes. hour in Laguna yeah. Beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, it, I just doesn't seem to me to be like the, the, the Cliff move, especially because I want to say that uh, Arizona had just re-upped him in the last year and he can, he could probably, I, I know the, 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 I saw the, the line on Twitter that he bought a one-way ticket to Thailand. Like uh, I was just him. about to ask, is he even back from Thailand yet? Or, I don't, I know. hope not. Right. Like if you're buying a one-way ticket to Thailand, you're not going for the weekend. Right. Yeah. Like, you, you know, um, so uh, Jason Garrett's name has been, uh, has been bandied around a little bit. I just he's never struck me as a college guy. Now he was in the Stanford mm-hmm. mix uh fairly deep this year before Troy Taylor got the job. Um yeah, so it, and then there's there's some other names. Uh Freddie Kitchens is an Alabama grad. He kind of maybe fits the archetype a little bit of like a, a guy Saban can can save. You know, remember Brian Dayball was the offensive coordinator in Alabama. I think that sort of has gotten lost. I think it's six OCs in the last eight years. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he, Greg, he was a he was a tremendous one too. He Dable yeah. was the OC the year that they had the whole Jalen Tua thing. You know, Jalen yes. was playing. Jalen Hurts struggled in the passing game, off and on, pretty good bit. You know, the second year at least in terms of rhythm, but he was running brilliantly and all of that. And then Tua was pushing and those young receivers. Dable managed that really well, and obviously called a great second half of the national championship game against Georgia that year. And Worked out pretty well for Brian too. Yes, that was a pretty good personnel decision there. Um, yeah. You know, to make that uh, to make that switch at halftime. Uh, Joe Brady's name pops up almost. It seems like every NFL search, every every college search. So that's that's another name that's been uh, that that's been bandied about. It's been an interesting arc for Joe Brady. I don't think a coordinator has ever been hotter. Um, and he wasn't even technically the play caller when he was at LSU. If you remember that year, that they mm-hmm. were just. Uh, uh, you know, what is that? 2019, they were a meteor, um, you know, streaking past the sun. 
And, you know, there were mixed results, middling results, really, with uh, with, with Carolina. Now he's obviously the, the QB's coach in Buffalo. And uh, there's a lot of good left in Joe Brady. So he was never he, – he transitioned the NFL because he was never a guy who's like – heartbeat for recruiting right right so yeah um and that's you know that's that's part of the de- especially there you know what i mean that's yeah. that's sort of part of the part of the deal is is you got to really be uh locked into that so yeah i think it's going to be uh who, who would you hire reese uh, man i i don't know I, I do think they need some freshness i also think that they will not i don't think it's in uh nick's dna even when they changed with with elaine they they didn't totally change. You know, they didn't throw out all the terminology and so forth. Everybody's going to have to learn uh, the Alabama way and then put their spin on it and then adapt, improve, adjust, all that kind of stuff. So um, I, when you were mentioning Jeff Levy, as good as I think he is, I was sort of uh, thinking about this whole idea that Nick has employed over the years that uh, the coach will come in and learn our system, as Bill O'Brien did, and then put his mm-hmm. own – his yeah. own spin on it, and then try to mold it to the quarterback. And Levy, I'm doing a lot of deep dive reporting here. You know, Levy can't whistle, right? You know, he can't. Uh, that Art Bryles thing that they used to do, where they whistle really loudly to get uh, to get the quarterback's attention if they were making adjustments, changing the play, changing the routes, whatever. So Levy now goes with his high pitch yeet yeet. Thing really, so they yeet yeet it. I was thinking, I wonder where yeet yeet falls into the terminology. Were he to were he to move there, can't whistle, just can't uh, do yeah. it. Well, I can't, I can't. I mean, I can whistle like the old fashioned way, you know, just like a normal whistle, but that mm-hmm. really loud thing to get your players' sure. attention, you know, that you can hear. Um, I mean, he he can't. I can't do that. I've tried over the years. I can't figure out how to do it, and he can't do it either. So he yells yeet yeet. And it's really high pitched and it's like a whistle. And apparently, according to the players, it cuts through. Happy to be joined now by the great Rick Barnes, head coach at Tennessee. Rick, we're talking about uh, we're talking a little football, which I know you're a fan, too. So let's start with this. We've seen I was just talking about Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma can't whistle and get his players' attention. How do you get your players' attention? Do you yell? Do you have a whistle? What, what's your go-to if you got to get their attention? You know, I used to use a whistle all the time until I went out many years ago and spent a couple of days with Jerry Sloan at, uh, when he was with Utah Jazz, and he never used a whistle. He just said, stop, and that's what I do, stop. <laughs> and, uh, and you know what? I'm glad I don't use whistling more because as, as I've gotten older, I think it's hurt my ears from blowing it so much. You know, <laughs> but uh, but with uh, I did once I went out and watched him, and I said I like this better. And uh, but sometimes in practice, when I say stop, the uh, assistants might toot a little whistle. But um, for years now, I've, all I've said is stop. After watching some of your game against Georgia last night, I'm pretty sure Georgia was yelling "Stop!" I think they, they, they had just about enough of you guys. You played played really well last night, and your team's playing great too. You know, and we can get better, and we know you have to get better. You know, to be a really good team in March, you got to be tough, and you got to you got to be tried and true in so many different areas. And uh, and I think that when you look at what's going on in college basketball today, especially from a defensive standpoint, you've got to be able to guard ball screens. Uh, everybody seems to go to those late shot clocks. If they don't get to them early, they that kind of, it's kind of a flow offense for people. But also, a lot of players that uh, can just 
go one-on-one, go at you one-on-one. And uh, so we know we've got to get better in those two areas. And, and uh, I, I like this group of guys because we do have a group of guys that are very unselfish. They, um, we got a, two or three guys, maybe four, that can really guard you one-on-one without fouling. And that's the key, too, not, not to put people on the free throw line. But we have fouled too much, to be quite honest. That's the one area that we're harping on every day in practice to you know, play hard, aggressive, without fouling. But with that said, you know, people are going to come at us. You know, they're going to try to open up the court and get downhill. And and when I talk about guarding the perimeter, it's not just our guards, it's our post players. They Because when we do a lot of switching, like, well, we'll switch. We do a lot of different packages. But when we do switch, we want to be able to guard the basketball and stay out of rotations. And uh, in this group, that's where we've got to get better. Rick, let me ask you this. Uh, I, I watched your uh, first half of your, your game last night against Georgia. I believe the stat was you had three consecutive opponents you held to 23 or less in the in the first half. Uh, you know, the, the metrics on your defense are unbelievable. I think you're number one in uh, number one in Ken Palm. And uh, and look, I go back to remembering your teams from uh, from from Providence. You've always prided yourself on, uh, on on that side of the floor and really being able to to lock guys down. As you as you look at this team from thirty thousand feet, as you're getting, you know, as you're making a push towards, uh, you know, the, the SEC tournament and then the postseason, it, how confident are you that the offensive side, you know, is 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 going to be there? I know uh, Zakai Ziegler gives you a, you know, is unbelievable popular player. You were telling me about him uh, when when we were there for for game day this year. Just how do you see that side of the ball and in this team having evolved, Rick? You know, Pete, that, that's a great question. But I will tell you, if you truly sat down with every coach before the game and gave him a truth serum and said, what's going through your mind? You know what every coach would say? Truthfully is, I just hope we can make a shot. Yeah. Because sure. all the other things we think we can't control, you know, effort, getting guys to play hard, doing a scheme. But some nights when that ball's not going in, you know, it makes it hard. And when it is going in, it makes everything look really nice. But with that said, we've tried to build a team because I do think we have guys. I, well, I know we got guys who can shoot the basketball. Like we got some good looks last night. We started the game last night. I wasn't real happy that we that we started outside outside in last night, which in some ways I wasn't surprised because we had a great shoot night down at LSU and and we came out and you know we started. I think our first six possession, five of them were threes, and because of that, they scored. They had a dunk on a on a on a a ball screen situation then the other two points got the rim was because of a bad shot we just didn't get our defense set and uh but i do think this you've got to be able to manufacture offense in a lot of different ways and uh you know we're a team that when we're playing our best we uh we really we get good looks at the basket we really do and and but when we're moving playing with speed that's when we're at our, and obviously when the ball is going in but with that said you've got to be able to rebound the ball if, you, if you're going to be a team that wins in march days when it's not going in how can you manufacture points and uh, got to do it through some defense deflections we did that last night i think we had 19 deflections in the first half and then uh we obviously made enough threes and and in the game but then offensive rebound is a key part of it we've, we've got to be great there and then if you want to be great there if you want to be a great defensive team you've got to limit your team, your opponents to one shot. Early in the game last night, we weren't doing that. Rick, we're going uh, We're going to Knoxville for game day. We were there twice for football. A uh, little bit of a different vibe for the basketball crowd as opposed to football crowd just inherently because 
there's not the natural tailgating. You're bringing people into the arena hours before the game and making them leave to come back. All of that said, with the excitement about your team, what what kind of atmosphere are we going to have for our show Saturday morning in in Thompson Bowling? You know, one thing I will tell you is that Vol Nation loves the volunteers, whether it's – I mean, you you know what football, what Josh Heupel's done has been a phenomenal job, what Tony has done in baseball last year. I mean, that was that – was, uh, I mean, think about it. They ended up having to close down the street right by the stadium and, and putting a big screen up out there. They just couldn't get everybody into the stadium. I'm excited for the women tonight. You know, they're going to have game day there tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kelly's done a good job. You know, she worked through some things that all coaches have to early in the season. But, you know, I know here our administration will work extremely hard to make sure that we let people know what Vol Nation is about. And I, so I would expect – and, again, that is, I hadn't thought about that, but that is it's a tough time for you guys to come in and have to leave and come back to the arena. So they need to do something to give them some incentive to want to get up early and get there. And, and I, school just started back this week, so it's going to be a pretty big weekend in Knoxville. Uh, I think I think just the opportunity to see Seth Greenberg in person should uh, should draw plenty, especially in the uh, in the fraternity and sorority crowd, shouldn't it? Well, back when he had some hair, maybe, but I'm not sure today. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what's it like? I know you you faced Texas before, and obviously you had such a great run there, playing Texas on Saturday. What type of emotion does that bring up for you? You know. Uh, it's been eight years. I did go back there last year, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they obviously ever since I've been here when the Big East, I mean, I'm sorry, the the uh, challenge with the SEC and, and, and the Big 12, they wanted me to go back. I wasn't ready for a couple of years. And then I got to a point where I'm like, I'm, you know, I, it's the right thing to do for both programs. And went back last year and they, and they obviously did a wonderful job in making me feel welcome back there. And, and I still have so many wonderful friends there. I mean, you think about it. Rodney Terry and Chris Ogden are two of my very dear guys. You know, they were with me. And and uh, I still, obviously, my daughter and son-in-law and grandkids live there. And we're back there some. We spend Christmas there every year. But, you know, eight years removed. And and I think Vol Nation here, uh, I'm thankful that, you know, the good Lord gave me this opportunity to come here. And uh, this is this is one of the most, I think, I think our fan base in basketball is one of the most underrated in basketball. Mm-hmm. Because I, I'm amazed. When I first got here. And, First game, we're not very good my first year. And on Christmas Eve at 6.30, we had 16,000 people watching us play Tennessee Tech. And I'm like, it's pretty cool, you know. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, uh, by now, and I've been doing it so long, uh, I try to take all the emotion out of it as much as I can. But, uh, you know, I'll always have great love for Texas and certainly know that Rodney and those, his staff is doing a really good job there. And uh hate, hate what happened with Chris Beard. It certainly do. But, uh, you know, those guys, I think, have done a great job picking up and, and moving forward. Rick, let me ask you this. We've had a lot of conversations over the years um, about football. You've, you've been at two unbelievable football institutions. And uh, I guess since you've gotten to Tennessee, you've really seen that athletic department overhaul itself and and, and get on the right track with Danny White. And obviously, Josh Heupel has, has, has been a, a lightning bolt. You saw Mac Brown at his peak at Texas, you know, kind of the master operator what are a couple things that you've seen tennessee do administratively to 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 turn the battleship there and and what's impressed you about josh well i I would say the first thing when i got here i think dave hart you know david was an experienced ad for a long time and and was here then we you know even when coach former came in you know and john curry all those guys did did things the way they did it and i think they're all did, did a good job but when you think about danny white coming in 
it, honestly, it's it's you talk about a tidal wave. I mean, it's been amazing because he's come in and, and he is as competitive as any athletic director I've ever seen in terms mm-hmm. of doing everything he can to make the student athlete experience what it is. And, and uh, I mean, what he's done with it. And, and, and I know, and I've been fortunate that when you think about my career, you know, I've been at Clemson, I've been at Alabama, I've been at Texas, Ohio state, and, and now Tennessee. I wow. understand that, that the football drives the train. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, it's the, I mean, it pulls it and we, and football is a, is a major benefit to all of us. When I was at Providence, which, as you guys know, is a great basketball job, we didn't have that. So when you bring kids on campus during football and they get to experience what you guys know happens in football, it's um, it's really unbelievable. And what Josh has done, uh, you know, I've been around a lot of wonderful football coaches. And, and what impressed me about him, and I've told this story before, he was getting ready to play Alabama. We were undefeated here. And uh, he calls me Wednesday morning and said, hey, do you mind if I bring my son over and shoot baskets with him for 30 minutes? I need to spend some time with my son. That's on Wednesday prior to the game. Not many football. Well, that's the only one I've ever had do that, you know? And I think it showed you how grounded he is. And uh, obviously he's got a, a, a terrific basketball, I mean, a football mind and what he does. And and when you think about his staff, I mean, they have just quietly come in and, and done an unbelievable job. And, and here, I mean, you you guys saw it during football season. This place is on fire, and the fact that uh, he and he's got a lot. Tony's got a lot to do with it. You know, what I mean, I mean, Tony yeah. uh, during the COVID when things were going, and um, just every sport. I mean, and Danny White though, and his staff have come in understanding we need to raise a lot of money to keep putting money in all the facilities. Like right now, they're putting, a, believe it or not, the indoor football field has never been air conditioned. They're doing that right now. A lot of things that need to be done that I think people would take for granted. Hasn't, but Danny is an extremely competitive athletic director, and and um, he wants to be great in every sport. Rick, I know you have to take off, but it brings up one question uh, about this. You've handled that beautifully over the years, but uh, during my time, I've seen a lot of, and it's not just basketball toward football. If it's perceived as a basketball school, sometimes there can be some jealousy from football toward basketball. How difficult is it to get that type of alignment? And and really doing a double-barreled question here, why does it even really matter? I mean, because there's no such thing really as a football or basketball school. You, If you're good at football, it doesn't mean you can't be great at basketball. So, I mean, what what is the tangible reason that that matters? You know, it really doesn't. Because here, when you think about it, I've, I used to say this all the time when people, when I went to Texas in recruiting and wherever, people would say just that, you know, that's a football school. Where people, where schools get labeled football, basketball, baseball, it's where they've had success in the past, where it is. Mm-hmm. But I've always told people this, and I learned this a long time ago. Duke University, quote unquote, basketball school, right? The football stadium is bigger than Cameron, North Carolina. Football stadium is bigger than the Dean Dome by what four times. You go down the line. I mean, football is important because it's important for the for the entire university for to bring the alumni back. You know, six seven times a year to get 100, 125,000, In our case, sometimes two hundred fifty thousand people back on campus. And I learned to embrace it because you know what, uh, it, it is what it is. I mean, when you look at our country right now, you know, when I was growing when I was growing up, there is no doubt that baseball was the, was the American pastime mm-hmm. football has surpassed that in our country. 
football has surpassed it. And basketball, what I would say about basketball in general is we don't have obviously as many basketball fans as football fans, but our basketball, I'm talking about as a nation basketball, we do have a rabid base of basketball fans around the country, but it, it pales in comparison to what football is. And uh, so it, it's reality is what it is. And, and I've always embraced it knowing that one, that I have great respect for the, what the football coaches go through, knowing how important their jobs are and, uh, and what it means to the entire university. And, and then being at the football schools, we've always said, hey, it's a great way for us to show off what we have by getting them here on football weekends, which is great for, uh, for us. But, uh, you know, when, when people talk about a football, basketball school, baseball, it's all based on where they've had most of their success in the past. But today, I do think there's more of an emphasis now with the Power Five leagues, especially to be really good in everything. I really do. Tennessee's doing that great, and you're a huge part of that. I uh, can't wait to see you this weekend. Thanks for welcoming us, and thanks for being on the podcast this morning, and, and I'll see you when I get to Knoxville. Uh, all right, thanks. Look forward to seeing you. Take care, guys. That is Rick Barnes, one of the, one of the really entertaining guys and engaging guys in, in all of college sports. I've always been fond of Rick. He's doing a tremendous job at Tennessee. And, you know, in a season in which I don't know that there's an overwhelmingly great team, there are a lot Mm -hmm. of really good ones. Tennessee certainly could go to the final four, win a national championship, um, you know, in a year where um, Duke is young and North Carolina is underperformed and Kansas is in the midst of a slide, which, you know, certainly there's plenty of time to fix, Um, you know, you pretty easily make the argument that. Uh, that Tennessee and Alabama uh, could could be the two best teams in the country, along with uh, Purdue and Houston, which, uh, you know, that's not exactly the the normal run of teams that you get when you're talking about the best teams in the country. No, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if we get a uh, first-time champion this year, Reese. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think the... The, the way the sport has uh, has played out, I remember a couple of years ago when uh, when Virginia played Texas Tech, we were guaranteed a first time champion. Um, and if you look, I don't believe Tennessee's ever won a title. They haven't in my lifetime. They, they my, have not. Yeah, yeah no, they I didn't. Tournament. I didn't think so. And Alabama has not. Correct. I correct. Don't, I don't believe so. Correct. So when you start to look, Houston obviously had. Wait, did no? Did they ever win one with Guy Lewis? Or did they just uh, come close? They came close. You know, yeah, they lost. They, they lost in the final four. And yeah. they, and Kelvin took them to the final four, and they lost. Uh, they lost there, so they've had great success. Yes, um, they were on the wrong end of Wooden and Al Sender. Yeah, know, way it's back tough. in the day too. So they've been really, really close. Yeah, and Purdue has never won a national title in my, right. uh, you know, right. cer- certainly not. And uh, let's hope for Matt Painter this year that uh, that he can break that final four streak. He's had too many great teams. We've I I, I have this theory with coaches. It's it's like the at bat theory. Like mm-hmm. there was like. You know, when I was in college, it was Jim Beheim can't win the big one. And that eventually they broke through in 03. Bill Self could wasn't a good tournament coach, couldn't win the big one. He's obviously broken through a couple of times now. There there have been these, you know, there have been these coaches who are these mainstays. And look, it was Kirby Smart had that knock a little bit before two years ago, right? Like he had mm-hmm. great teams and you know couldn't couldn't find his way home um we'll be saying this about Ryan Day right he's had he's had great playoff level teams and they've they've been a little bit snake bit in the playoff if you look at the Georgia game this year in Clemson but those types of coaches tend to break through right because it, like the Matt Painter type coaches because when you have consistently great teams and you mm-hmm. are a high end coach 
you tend to get your, you know, you, you, the chances tend to come and uh, to come and find you. So, yeah, that's it's it's pretty interesting that of the top five in Ken Palm right now, only Alabama, I'm sorry, only UCLA is a title winner. Right. Uh, which is which is pretty which is which is pretty remarkable and and I think is going to be you know some good some good juice for the uh, some good juice for the sport to have a little bit of new blood now obviously you know UConn struggled a little bit of late they're still ranked very high uh, Marquette has obviously won a title it's it's nice to see Shaka has you know re- revitalized them I, I'm a little leery if Texas can be a national title team just with the with the flux they've been in and I think mm-hmm. Saturday is going to be a really interesting test so yeah the 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 field so when when Barnes and I had lunch uh one of the times we were at game day there he had told me that this was one of the few teams on paper when he entered the season where he said to himself we could be good enough to win the title you know there was two two Texas teams that that mm-hmm. he he kind of entered entered the season and, and and felt that way uh felt that way about so i you know that would be and look they've struggled in the tournament there's no way to sugarcoat it right so um, it, it would be an interesting. There's there's a few good tests of the at bat theory here. When you have Kelvin Sampson, who's obviously knocked on the doors and made a couple Final Fours, Rick Barnes, um, who's had a lot of really high end teams over the years, and, and and Matt Painter. Basketball is more conducive to the idea of getting hot at the end than mm-hmm. football is. But as we expand the college football playoff, you might run into a little bit more of what we saw from North Carolina last year, who, you know, up and down throughout the course of the season, there were times last year when Hubert felt like he didn't, uh, wasn't able to get them to play as hard as they needed to. But then you get late in the season and guys realize what's at stake. Maybe something really good happens. You play really well as they did, for instance, against uh, Duke and Cameron. And it, it had really started probably a game or two before that, but they play really well in a big moment like that, and it all sort of comes together, and you get hot and win it. And that's why so many times in basketball in the tournament, the best team doesn't win the championship. The team that plays the best for three weeks wins or plays the best in certain games or they have a bracket fall their way. They avoid a matchup of a team maybe that would have beaten them. Or to Rick's point, you have a night where the thing just won't go in the freaking basket mm-hmm. you know, and, and you get beat. You don't see that as often in football, but the one part of that that you could very well see is 12-team bracket, one particular team that you don't match up well against in your path, either in the quarters or the semis, and they get clipped before mm-hmm. before you get there. So there, there's going to be some of that get-hot dynamic. Um, because of that, I was asked this question the other day as it pertains to basketball. And I think the best teams right now are, uh, I I think they're Purdue and Alabama. Houston's Houston's right there too. Uh, Mm -hmm. Alabama's got, you know, this dynamic freshman, Brandon Miller is going to be a high draft pick. He he looks like a a young Kevin Durant, who Rick would know a lot about from coaching him at Texas. But they're young and Purdue still has the questions, you know, of that type of offense. So I was asked this question. If in a one game, one game scenario in the tournament, who would you not bet against in any one game scenario that you can imagine? And the answer for me is North Carolina. It's yeah. it's still North Carolina. And so we'll 
I don't know that I'll, when the brackets come out, that I'll pick the Tar Heels to win the national championship, but uh, that's, that's still who it is for me, despite what's happened to this season. And it sort of shows the inherent difference in the way we evaluate basketball teams approaching the tournament and the way we've uh, evaluated football teams over the course of the season and whether they should get in and whether they're worthy champions. Yeah, it's, it's interesting looking at uh, looking at Ken Palm here, North Carolina's 25th. And you can't tell me that there's a huge difference between North Carolina and pick a team in the top 10, Marquette. Well, I'll Texas, give you the perfect Kansas. example, yeah. Pete. They played Alabama and mm-hmm. lost in four overtimes. Well, they sure. had they had two shots to win the game. I think one in regulation. I've forgotten mm-hmm. what the other which overtime the other one was, but they they didn't make the shots. Okay, so that's the difference in whatever twenty five yeah. and two. Really, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's a long yeah. time ago. I get that, but you know, mm-hmm. it's you're you're dead on. There's not a lot of difference there. Yeah, the the you know in basketball, I think what we've seen over the years is the difference between the uh, let's just say the eleven seed and the six seed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is just that is just strong. It's almost negligible now. You know what I mean? And, and I don't think the difference between you know the 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 three seed and you know the they they play the winner of the what the ten seven right like I don't think there's much of a yeah, the difference two two plays seven ten two plays seven ten yeah sorry three plays six eleven yeah, six right. eleven yeah so like they're that, all the same yeah like they're just not you know there's just not a a significant difference did you happen to read the the New York Times Magazine article this weekend on uh, Armando Baycott I have not I haven't, okay I haven't seen it, it was yeah. interesting I'll, I'll send it to you it it basically positioned him as a long article and it was good there there's a cameo by your uh by your man crush uh drake may in there but it basically positions baycott as the face of this new generation where coming back to college and being able to make i think they they threw the, his monetary value about a half million be able to come back to college make a half million dollars and you can kind of become a mogul and start your you know start your career as a brand is now, you know, like an attractive option at a place like Carolina, as opposed to going and look, Armando Bacot's a fine player, but that, you know, the, the market for sort of a, a true low post player in the modern NBA isn't significant. So they said it, it was interesting. They said in the article, he would have been a draft pick, which I believe, but I don't believe it would have been a first round pick. So I, I just feel like that dynamic is interesting and it's just sort of a new reality that we're, uh, that, that we're facing. And I think the school's, that can create an experience. You can't underrate that, right? Like the North Carolina basketball experience is elite, right? It's as good. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying Carolina, do like all these places that have high, high end programs with elite facilities and great fan bases, like they they sort of foster that experience. So if you can have that experience where a kid wants to go to school and be at school combined with a, a healthy six figure salary, does that, I mean, there's a couple other, like you think about Zach Eady at Purdue, right? Like, you know, like do, does, does that change the face of the sport and the face of the tournament going forward? Because the stars that aren't ready-made NBA contributors, are they incentivized to stay? I had the conversation. I hadn't read the article, but I had that conversation with someone around the Carolina program, because if I'm not mistaken, I think Armando, in theory, has even though he's listed as a senior because of the COVID year, I think he's I think he's got another year. I think mm-hmm. if he wants it, and that becomes that that's something I think college basketball should embrace because oh, yeah. th- because there are guys like 
Armando, who, first of all, is a, a terrific guy and great ambassador for North Carolina. And I, my guess is that New York Times figure might be a little low, too. But, <laughs> but, you know, but, it, but at any rate, the lifestyle that he would have. Now, now, look, maybe there comes a time and he's like, look, I've done this. I've had great success. I want to go try my hand professionally. I want to go prove that I am an NBA player and go give it a shot. And, that, and Godspeed, if that's what he chooses. But just in terms of uh, salary, of, uh, of lifestyle that you mentioned, of travel accommodations, of perks, whether it be training staff, nutrition, everything that uh, he might be responsible for overseas or in the G League or something like that, that North Carolina provides there, that's going to be attractive. And it's not just him. Oscar Shibway is a very similar yes, situation. Sure. Yep, a, absolutely. A Baycott and Shibway are great college players, and they could have a place in the NBA. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. But your point about them being stars, being frontline guys, that's not the way the game is in the NBA right now. So I think there, I think there, there are a number of things. There's a lot of opportunity for the individual players to do this. Mm-hmm. And then coaches will want to keep the guys around But at some point, uh, and this is speaking generally, not specifically to Kentucky or Carolina or anybody like that, then chemistry becomes an issue. Even Mm -hmm. if it's guys who've been together, after a while, you know, you start looking at at individual goals and how do you keep that uh, on the back burner as it pertains to team goals or at least dovetailing with the team goals as opposed to superseding them. A lot of different dynamics, but I do think that overall that embracing Guys like Baycott coming back, and mm-hmm. you know, I should I should double check there, get somebody to Google it. But I, I'm under the impression I think he's, in theory, uh, could have another year. But but the point remains, whoever it might be, if they have another year and they're marketable at their school, especially if it's a Kentucky, a Carolina, a Duke, uh, teams of that or programs of that ilk, very attractive, I would think, in terms of of lifestyle too. Yeah, so he's listed as a uh, he's listed as a senior, but since he was there in 2020, he would have a uh, he would have a COVID year. That's what I uh, thought. I thought that was that was correct. So yes, well, people always say, uh, yeah, everybody you know, gets five who had a COVID year, so yeah, you get, it, you get five to play five. Yeah, and, and people always talk about, boy, I wish I could go back to school in those carefree days like that. Although the players of today, I'm not sure they're quite as carefree because. Football and basketball, they have so many expectations and voices, and it takes some pretty good guidance and some pretty good mental strength on their part to be able to drown those out. Because whether it's in basketball, you should be scoring more points. If you're a receiver in football, you should be getting more touches. They're not using your right. Let's move you over here. Let's talk to coach. All of these kind of things that are going on right now, I think has the unintended consequence of sort of weighing on the player sometimes too. So there, it seems real easy and it seems all like seashells and balloons for these guys. And it's first world problems. If you're getting paid half million or more, whatever it is in your NIL deals, everybody understands that, but that doesn't mean just because it's a, a, a good problem to have doesn't mean that it's not in fact a problem. And and it can be for some of these guys, if they get overly burdened, uh, with that, and it affects performance, and then ultimately, it's it's not as good a thing as it could have been. 
Yeah. So it's it's interesting that really the 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 frontline players, no pun intended, of the entire sport this year are guys that really fit that paradigm. When you look at Edie, Shibway, Baycott, now there's other great players, but those guys are three that are that are prominent. I really think one of the places, one of one of Mark Emmert's many failures as NCAA president was essentially getting outmaneuvered by the NBA for top talent. If you go back to you know, 2020, the the Jalen Green goes to the G League moment, which was a really, really, to me, a, a significant moment that came in part because all of a sudden guys started to say, you know what, I'm going to go to Australia and play professionally. That to Adam Silver was a problem. We can't be, we have a great talent base here in America. We have we, it's, we have basketball talent. We are the best in the world in, in producing it. There is that we should not have a basketball system that exports it. So that prompted Silver, along with the whole, you know, NBA cabal to, to make a rule change. And that opened up the path to the G League. And that subsequently has meant less talented young players coming into college basketball, which I just think is a problem. You need the best. If you are running college basketball, you need the system to be set up to have the best young players in the world come through one way or another, even if it's, even it's for only one year. You want the excitement of I'm seeing the next great player happen. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important lifeline for, for the sport. So what they've done is now create a system and the system has evolved. And essentially, there was no incentive for these guys to go play in college. Remember, remember Ben Simmons, like hated college. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Two? Like he was just like, like didn't have time for it. Like just he was awful when he was. There. No, look, he's a wonderfully talented player. He may still be the most gifted passer, certainly for a big man that, I, that I've ever seen. But he just like it was just this like slog of a waste of time. Right. So as we're as we're moving forward here now, the incentives have begun for guys to stay in school. And now the incentives are coming for guys to hopefully come to college and play, like come make a, you know, come make a bunch of money. It'd be interesting to see what LeBron's son ends up doing. Cause it doesn't look like he's quite good enough to, uh, you know, to go straight to the, uh, to go straight to pro. So I, it, you know, Bronny, who's a very good player, but you know, he's like a four-star top 50 prospect. He's not, you know, he's not his dad. Uh, there's only one. He's his dad is one of one. <laughs> So, yeah. but I, I just think we're, we're we're at like an interesting shift back where like some of these talented players have started to to scoot elsewhere, and then now all of a sudden we're keeping the other ones. And and I my hope is that the the system evolves and is refined enough where you go to you can go to Carolina, you can make a million bucks, you can have that experience, you can play in in the you know the competitive nature of, of college basketball because I think in in the NBA. If you truth serum the GMs, they'd rather have the guys go to the G League. And I know that hurts oh, yeah. the hearts of people who love, but like you are a pro, you play on a pro court, you play in a pro system, you can, you know, get shots up in the, you can, you can do all these things and it doesn't have these great environments and there's not the romance, but it's hard to argue that going to be a pro is not better training for becoming a pro. I, I wouldn't argue that for a second. And there's so many guys too that had the knock in college, for instance. And it's not that they can't get shots up in in college, or that there aren't there aren't guys who are great individual instructors in college, or certainly are. But you see a guy who his shots not developed, for instance, and then he goes to the pros, even if he's sitting on the bench in the NBA for a couple of years or in the G League or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're watching a game and the guy's knocking down threes. You know, mm-hmm. NBA threes and NBA yeah. games. And you're like, well, where was that at uh, 
insert university here. I don't want to cast sure. any aspersions at, at any school, but it's um, it, it's pretty obvious. But I, I think you're right. The one thing that college football and, and the NFL, the NFL realizes they sort of have a ready-made free uh, developmental system there that, mm-hmm. that they're eager to support. The NBA is under under no such. Uh, uh, obligation or feel, I don't think, in terms of de- developmental. So they've gotten their own. And college basketball for years sort of fought the NBA as if they were like some type of evil empire coming in, uh, poaching their players. And that was the wrong approach to begin with. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe this type of thing can, can help a guy who might not be the quintessential big at what the NBA is looking for today to develop and get to a point where he is uh, more serviceable and and the career lasts longer or whatever. Very 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 philosophical. Let's close this up with uh, with some football notes. What's the best football note that you've gotten this week? And what are you what are you keeping your antenna up about over the next several days? I think the best football note is like LSU's uh, accounting department clearly had like a few too many abitas <laughs> at the uh, at the tailgate and paid Brian Kelly an extra million dollars. Like, what are, what are they doing? Like, I, I mean, he had a nice season, but yeah, ha- he's making plenty of money. You can just pay him what's in the contract, right? Yep. Um, got giddy, they got giddy after the Alabama win and said, "Here's yeah. another million, BK, take it." Yeah, <laughs> so double, there was an accounting error, right? Double they yes. double paid. His yes. foundation and him, or some such thing. So. Yeah, so I found that to be uh, I found that to be most uh, most amusing. And then then football wise, I think all eyes are both on the Alabama search and then the potential ripples. I think with thirteen NFL OC jobs open, there's some nervous people in Athens about Todd Munkin, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised. I, I believe he's the highest paid coordinator in the country to begin with now. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets bumped up again. Um, he's such an important part of what they do. Um, the early lean is I don't think he goes to the NFL. Um, I don't think anyone has formally asked to to speak with him, uh, but it will be uh, that will be interesting to watch. And then how uh, things shake out coordinator wise at Miami will will also be uh, interesting. They lost uh, they lost Frank Ponce, and there's a there's sort of an aura of uncertainty hanging over Miami right now. What's going to happen there on offense? They were. Uh, they were fairly dreadful last year in their uh, in their quarterback regressed. So I think those are probably like the the three biggest things that I'm uh, poking around and uh, and flailing around on right now. Look forward to to hearing about them. Thanks for listening. Uh, th- that was great. I really enjoyed the conversation with Barnes. Uh, yeah. uh, Pete was instrumental in getting him to join us this morning. So we appreciate that. Uh, thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. Download this show wherever you like to get your podcast. See you next time.